Hey friends, welcome to the Axiom Church Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us and check out our episode. Um, this is a space where we post our, our Sunday sermons and occasionally we have discussions and conversations regarding life in this community and following Jesus. So thank you for listening and please engage us on our website, axiomchurchaz.com or on any of our social medias. We'd love to hear from you. Take care. Peace be with you. Thanks. I could use it. Um, My name is Denise Dines, if we haven't met, and I'm one of the Axiom community leaders here, and sometimes I teach, like right now. Uh, We are moving through the book of Acts together as a community, and we're going to still be in Acts 9 in the conversion of Saul, who we later know turns into Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament. Um, Now, most people who know me, and that would include a lot of you, know that I like Mr. Rogers a lot. And so, as I've had my mind in this passage, this quote of Mr. Rogers kept, kept coming up. So, uh, a high school student wrote him a letter, and he, they asked, uh, Mr. Rogers, what do you think was the most important event in history? And this is what he said. I can't say. However, I suspect that like so many great events, it was something very simple and very quiet with little or no fanfare, such as someone forgiving someone else for a deep hurt that eventually changed the course of history. The really important great things are never center stage of life's dramas. They're always in the wings. That's why it's so essential for us to be mindful of the humble and the deep rather than the flashy and the superficial. And I think today's passage, we're going to find an event that did change the course of history, but it was in the wings. It was simple, ordinary, not flashy at all, and it was humble and deep. And I feel like that's really meaningful for us because I I don't know about you, but I don't think of myself as very flashy. (laughs) I think most of us are pretty ordinary, and it's okay in the kingdom to be simple and and not flashy. that God uses ordinary, simple things, and and he moves in mighty ways um, in the things that maybe don't seem mighty in the moment. So uh, before we dig in, I want to pray. God, we just thank you so much for your word, for preserving your, your word in the Bible for us. I thank you for these men and women in history and um, that we read about in the book of Acts how they're part of our history, they're part of our community in in an eternal sense. I just um, ask that you, Holy Spirit, would be the translator of your word into our hearts, into our minds. We affirm that you are doing a good work in each of us and in our community, and you've promised to bring it to completion, and your kingdom has come, Jesus. That's what you declared, and we're here with you in it. As we look at your word, may we sense you sitting with us inviting us to to dig into your word with you as the teacher, Lord. Thank you. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 9, starting in um, verse 10, but it's going to be on the screen. Let me pull it up here. 
Okay. So in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Which, by the way, I want to pause there real quick. All who call on your name. Saul was a, a Pharisee. He was a Jewish leader. He has no problem with people calling on the name of God. He did have a problem with people calling on the name of Jesus, which means that right now Ananias is having a conversation with Jesus. Let's go on. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So we have two, two people here in this story, two main characters. We have Ananias, who is quite humble. And we have Saul, who has been quite humbled in this situation. And I'd like us to look at these, these two men, because they both play a part in, um, in this story of Acts, this Acts of, of the early church, and they play a big part in, in our story, in our lives. And we can identify probably with both of them in some ways. We have Saul, and Saul is, is coming into this experience. Uh, Wyatt taught last week about how he was on the road to Damascus and had an encounter with Jesus. He was on his way, 150 miles, by the way, from Jerusalem to Damascus with orders in hand to arrest anyone who is claiming to, to believe in this Jesus and arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem. And he was like a marching machine on a mission. And he had a top-down mindset, right? I mean, he was a Pharisee. In um, other scriptures in the future that he writes, he ends up talking to him, uh, us, telling us he's like the lead, he's the Pharisee of Pharisees. And he knows how to work the system. He understands hierarchy. He understands what that's like, top down. And this is the way he sees things. He also knows that it's the person who wins is the one who knows all the answers. And he had all the answers up until what Wyatt taught last week when he was blinded on the road. And he doesn't know up from down now. And, and not only is he blind eyes, you know, his insides are blind. He is confused and has to be led by the people who he was traveling with to, to be completely dependent. So his world has been turned upside down. But prior to this, all he knows is a top-down structure. That's, that's the way he operates. And who, who does God send to restore his sight? Ananias. 
Okay, there are three people named Ananias in the New Testament. They're all in the book of Acts. One of them uh, was some chapters ago, and he died. So he's not this Ananias. And then the next Ananias is in the end of the book of Acts, and he is like a religious leader who is persecuting Saul. So it's not the same Ananias. So here we have this, this guy named Ananias. We've not heard of him before. And when this story is over, we will never hear about him again. Who is this guy? He's, as far as we know, He's nobody special. It says he's a disciple. It doesn't say he was the leader of the church in Damascus. We were given no title. But a couple weeks ago, Eric Schenk taught on the story where Philip was um, having an encounter with this eunuch from Ethiopia. And it said that the spirit like whisked Philip away. Why didn't the spirit whisk a leader to come and interact with Saul in this moment, because that would surely put him at ease, right? He's super discombobulated. Couldn't he have whisked Philip to meet with Saul or, or even Peter or someone like that from Jerusalem? Because then he could have been like, oh, yes, okay, a leader. This is what I need to hear. Okay. No. Who does he send but someone we've never heard of? And, and Saul is probably not heard of either. And isn't that just like the gospel, the new story that, that Saul is, is about to step into, where this isn't a top-down situation? And then the other thing that, that's helpful to remember about Saul is um, the message that Ananias received about him. This was a prophetic word that God gave Ananias that pretty much sums up everything we're going to learn about Saul slash Paul's experience, okay? He's a chosen instrument to carry the name of Jesus before Gentiles, their kings, and the people of Israel, and he's going to learn what it means to suffer for the name of Jesus, okay? That's like summing up his, the rest of his life. And this, in some ways, sounds like a flashy message, right? I mean, he's God's chosen instrument to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I mean, that sounds like pretty flashy, but no, it, it really isn't. Because the word, the NIV that I read says um, to proclaim my name to, to these people groups. But um, other translations, and, and the Greek uses a word that really means to carry or to bear my name before these people group. And that makes me think of what it means to carry our cross. There's, there's a heaviness that he is going to be carrying the name of Jesus to Gentiles, to their kings, and to the people of Israel. There is a heaviness here. And who carries heavy things? Servants. That's who carry... Servants are the ones who carry the heavy things. And so... In these ways, he has been very humbled as he is learning what, what now the, real, the true kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is. And then it ends with this that I think is, is important. It says, then Saul was baptized. He eats, and he regains his strength. These are all very sensory body experiences. The baptizing announces to everybody that, you know what, I'm leaving that old way behind. Everything I thought I knew was true, I'm letting it go. And I'm going to enter into something new with Jesus Christ. It is quite a declaration to everyone, but it had to have been 
just a declaration even to himself, you know what I mean? To step into that water and to be like, all right, I'm letting that stuff go. I'm on a new adventure now, and I don't have all the answers, but I know that I'm following Jesus. And then he eats, and, and it's, if he regains his strength, it means he was pretty weak. So this is humbling, too. The way that Saul starts this new adventure in his life in the kingdom of Jesus is a very human body experience, fraught with hunger and weakness. And isn't that so much like our Lord, who also was in a human body that experienced hunger and weakness? This is like the prereq of the kingdom of God, is to be human. And so he's had a very humbling experience here. But let's take a look at Ananias. We already said that we don't know who Ananias is. He sounds like he's just average Joe. Um, but he shows us a lot about what it looks like to be operating within the kingdom of Jesus. First of all, he is in a relationship with Jesus. We see here, remember I, I pointed out that when he says um, that he's having that conversation, it isn't just with like Lord, some general God. You know, He's actually speaking to Jesus because he's like, oh, Saul is coming and you know, he, he wants to arrest everybody who calls on your name. Well, that's the name of Jesus. And he doesn't just listen to God. He's not God's little soldier, and he doesn't just get this order from Jesus, and he says, sir, yes, sir, and he goes on his way. He is obedient. He is trusting, but he's also honest, and he dialogues with Jesus about his concerns. It reminds me of Mary when Gabriel came and announced that she's going to give birth to Jesus, and she's like, um, how can this be? I'm a virgin. She wasn't being um, you know, obstinate. She just didn't really understand how it worked. And that's what I hear from Ananias here, is a real concern. Saul's a dangerous guy. Are you sending me in to be killed? You know, <laughs> like, like he's voicing this. And that's very humble. It's, it takes a lot to voice our fears and concerns, especially with God. And, and that's what we observe with Ananias. He has a listening relationship that, that has dialogue going on with Jesus. And, and the other thing, when he does meet Saul, how does he address him? What does he say to him? Brother. Brother Saul. What, what, what was this like for Saul? I can't even imagine. Before this, you know, he probably wasn't interacting with just everyday Joes. And to have somebody that he doesn't even know when he's in such a vulnerable state, such a vulnerable state, come in and address him as an equal brother. And, and what this was like for Ananias, who very rightly has probably some fears around meeting this guy. Is it a trick? Is it a trap? But he goes in and he calls him brother. I think one thing about the kingdom is that we're all average Joes in the kingdom, and we don't need to be anything else. And Ananias models for us that he's an average Joe, and so is everybody else. And we can address each other in this equal playing field. So we have these two experiences. We have Saul, who has been humbled, and he's very, very vulnerable, and he's about to start an incredible ministry. And this might be daunting to hear, you know what I mean? Like if you yourself are, are thinking about um, 
being invited into this relationship with Jesus and, and saying yes to this kingdom experience. It might be daunting to hear, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. <laughs> you know, that might not be welcome words to take in, but I think he was really just right-sizing Saul and, and letting him know this is the reality here. And, and, and is a servant greater than his master? No, Jesus suffered. We all suffer. But in the letters that he writes later as Paul, he makes crystal clear that everything he said goodbye to in his old way of life, he considered rubbish. Absolute nothing in comparison to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord. He gained the real treasure, and, and he says it again and again throughout his writings. And then with Ananias, we see the freedom that comes with being part of the kingdom. I mean, yes, it's, it's fraught with some things that can be a little scary, but we have the freedom of this honest relationship with Jesus where we can be ourselves and we can also treat one another where there is no more male or female, slave or free, Greek or Jew. There's no more Pharisee and average Joe. There's no more enemy that we hate. There's only brother and sister. And this is the life of the kingdom. Back when um, John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus and, and right before Jesus was baptized, he was quoting something in Isaiah. He was quoting Isaiah 40, saying, um, Behold, someone is crying out in the wilderness, make straight the paths for the Lord. And then that passage goes on to say, The Lord raises up the valleys and he brings down the mountains. And everyone will experience the glory of the Lord together. And that's what we see here. Here's somebody we've never heard of and we'll never hear of again, Ananias. He's like a valley being brought up. And then we have the Pharisee of Pharisees with all the answers. And he's brought down. But then they experience the glory of the Lord together. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is a great equalizer where we are right-sized in all the ways that we need to be and in ways that are gentle and loving. Not once was Saul shamed. Not once was he shamed by Jesus or the community of God. So we don't have to be afraid of being brought down. That, that's a very loving, safe place to be. And, and we don't have to be thinking that we're nothing. We're just, you know, something garbage on the floor. Absolutely not. We all have tremendous value in the kingdom of God. And also, we can see here that those seemingly flashy things that happen in the book of Acts, they really find their anchor in quiet, listening moments that are humble and deep and ordinary. And we all have a corner on that market. <laughs> we all have a corner on that market. So I'm just going to wrap us up here with some silence. Um, uh, this time of silence, I, I just invite, if you like, um, to reflect on, on some of the things that were shared here today. Maybe it has to do with how the kingdom of Christ is that equalizer. Maybe there's something in there that, that Jesus is inviting you to, to reflect on. Uh, perhaps it has something to do with the humble and deep, the simple and the ordinary, and these, um, the freedom we have in this relationship with Jesus that, that takes place in our real lives without any glitter. Or, if God brought anything else up for you during this time, I invite you to hold that in the space with him. 
And also, if you have nothing to bring into the space with him, but yourself, tired because that cup of coffee didn't kick in, that quiet space with you is a treasure to him because he loves being with you, and that's time well spent. So we'll just take some silence, and then I'll break it with an amen. So let's go ahead. into a time of communion now. Um, The way we practice communion here at Axiom, um, well, first of all, we have tables on the side of the room with crackers and and juice, and we just dip it, and you would walk out these aisles and just kind of take it and and then go into the back before you return to your seats. You're welcome to take communion alone. You're welcome to do it in a group of people. But if you're looking for a condition for communion, uh, it's very much like the condition that Saul realized he had to step into, and that's the human condition. (laughs) And so everyone is welcome to the table if you call yourself human. Jesus is inviting you to that space. Um, I do just want to take a brief moment, too, and say Saul was baptized in this. Uh, He decided that this was a space where he was going to leave everything he thought that was true behind. And he didn't have all the answers at that point, but he affirmed to himself and to everyone around him by, by getting baptized that he's, he's walking into a new life following Jesus without all the answers, which is okay. And in that community, if you are interested in being baptized or maybe you just have some questions about it, um, you know, reach out to one of anybody you've seen on stage or there might be some connect cards you can write it on. But otherwise, go ahead and and walk down and take communion and experience Jesus together. Thanks. Thanks. 